my god hi guys welcome back to another episode of was that a fever dream i am your host lorenzo and i am here to walk you through pop culture moments that have felt like a fever dream okay you guys one thing i do have to say that i love about podcasting is that you cannot see what i'm doing right now you don't see where i'm sat where i'm recording this how will they know nobody's gonna know um so i'm currently recording this in or on my bed with a duvet and i feel comfy cozy cute um so i feel like that's just the vibe for this episode right um and also i do have to say there is and this is kind of embarrassing to admit but basically there are vocal warm-ups that you can do if you are looking to do podcasts because it does, you know, create a lot of strain on your voice. You're talking for like 30 minutes straight or an hour, depending how long your podcast is. And your vocal cords are a muscle. So you need to warm them up. Um, there is this queen on YouTube, an absolute queen. Her name is Emily Prokop. Look her up. I looked up the video, vocal warm-ups and technique for podcasters. And she does like these like little like vocal exercises with your mouth. And then also she gives you like a tongue twister um, to say out loud so that, you know, you can like, I guess, like read properly on the podcast and like enunciate correctly. And truthfully, I feel like it, gen- I don't know if this is placebo or what, but like I do feel ready to go for this episode (laughs) okay before i do go into today's topic i did want to kind of change things up a little bit i think moving forward the first half of the episode will be dedicated to like any sort of commentary around current pop culture things um maybe things that have been going on in my life updates i want you all to know all that fun stuff and then I'll move over to my topic of the week I feel like that just makes more sense it gives me an opportunity to talk about what's going on in the culture as as of late and you know it's like a really good primer before you know the information heavy topic that I probably will be discussing okay the first thing I did want to talk about Prince Harry's memoir now this is some tea um Basically, for those of you who don't know, Prince Harry is releasing a memoir. I believe it's this week, actually. I think it's January 12th it comes out. Let me just... Oh, no, January 10th. Um, So basically what happened was there were early copies that were found um, in Spanish bookstores last week. So inevitably, like, this was leaked to the press and, you know, press got a hold of these, like, advanced copies and reported it on, on the book. Um, there was this really great Time article, Time magazine article called These Are the Most Shocking Revelations in Prince Harry's Memoir. And it just basically gives you like sort of a summary of like the biggest um, like quote unquote bombshells that were featured in the memoir. And I'm just going to read you some of them because I feel like some of them are kind of iconic and hilarious in their own way. Um, okay, so the first bit. Harry admits he experimented with cocaine, magic mushrooms and cannabis. I mean, cool. He said uh, he writes that as a deeply unhappy seventeen-year-old, he would try to he would try anything that altered the pre-established order. 
Um, the 38-year-old royal says he took psychedelics for recreation and therapeutic reasons, additionally, additionally revealing that he smoked cannabis since he was a teenager, which is like, did you guys have like a, like a dispensary at Buckingham Palace? Like, how did you obtain, you know, illegal substances? Um, oh, this was, this was a good one. Uh, Harry reveals how he lost his virginity. And like, you cannot make this up. Um... Basically, he said that uh, the woman in question liked macho horses <laughs> and treated him like, quote, a young stallion. When the encounter ended, he reportedly writes, she spanked my ass and sent me away. Um, and apparently the encounter took place in a field behind a busy pub. Harry recalls that someone must have seen them because a bodyguard was instructed by Prince Charles to follow up on press office reports that Harry was taking drugs. Oh my God. Do they not have dare officers in the UK? I don't understand. Okay. Oh, this was, this was probably one of my favorites. So Harry's comments on his and William's balding. <laughs> severely unhinged here people okay so as reported by the daily mail harry writes about a tense moment with his brother who he describes as his arch enemy where he looked at him and took stock of his appearance i looked at willie really looked at him perhaps for the first time since we were little taking in every detail his familiar scowl uh which had always been the norm in in his dealings with me um harry wrote that williams balding was hashtag alarming not hashtag quote alarming and quote more advanced than his own <laughs> the shade of it all um i mean here's the thing i am glad that harry and megan are sort of free from the shackles of the royal family but like i'm just happy that they have their own sort of freedom but i feel like to me some of these things don't need to be talked about. Like, you could keep that to yourself. Like, I don't really want to know how you lost your virginity, truthfully. Uh, yeah, like, I feel like that's a detail you should have just, like, kept to yourself. There are some things that you just keep to yourself, Harry. Um, and that is one of them. But um, I will be going to purchase a copy. Yes, I will. Because I do really want to know the tea. And I feel like, you know, they have this, like, newfound freedom. They kind of have this, like air about them that just wants to yap um to yap about the royal family which i love because they've always sort of had this like you know um they've always been so secretive and like very to themselves so you don't really under like you don't really know sort of the ins and outs of the royal family unless you sort of lived you know in in that space so it'll be interesting to read i do listen i love me some harry and megan i think whatever they're doing like let them be like i i don't really have a problem with them so um okay moving on uh lots happening in the housewives universe uh there have been a couple you know big stories that came out this week uh first of all lisa rinna is uh has announced that she is not coming back for the next season of real housewives of beverly hills we did it joe we did it um so happy that the Lisa Rinna Eminem is gone. Uh, thank God. Uh, good has prevailed. And, you know, Kathy Hilton, Garcelle, Beauvais, anyone who has, you know, been wronged by Lisa Rinna in the past have gotten their comeuppance. And, you know, good is back in the world. Thank God. Won't he do that? Um, 
So yeah, I feel like there was a lot there was a lot of speculation in terms of like what you know, uh if she was fired or if she you know, left on her own terms. I do feel like she got the boot. <laughs> Uh, because she has just been nasty these past couple seasons. I feel like, I mean, she's like really grasping for straws in terms of, you know, finding a storyline for herself because she can't, you know, have an evolved life. So I think she always has to like go for the jugular for the other girls. But yeah, it's just, we don't need to see that on the television anymore. You know, we've evolved from that. So as much as... Actually, I don't even want to, like, say, like, as much as I'll miss her. I, I won't miss her. I'm sorry. Moving along, um, the next thing here is that Jen Shaw has been sentenced to six and a half years in prison. Now, <laughs> here is the thing with this. I feel like this has been, like, a long, drawn-out story. But, okay, basically, for those of you who don't watch The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, I'll basically give you sort of a summary here. Um, Jen Shaw, who was, like, one of the, like, top cast members on the show, she was, like, very feisty, like, um, you know, very drama-filled, very explosive, um, but at the same time, like, very entertaining. She's quite polarizing in the Housewives community. Um, she was, uh, linked to this, like, um, wire fraud, situation basically like she was scamming elderly people out of their money um and she basically used that money to buy her house and buy her lifestyle and uh you know uh, fund her clothing so yeah they found out that she was doing this the fbi sort of did like an investigation on it um and last season, so season two of uh, Salt Lake City, they were actually going to, I think they were going to Vail or something. So they were going to like a road trip and all the ladies, you know, were scheduled to go, including Jen. And um, they had this like sprinter set up in front of uh, a parking lot. And they were like, you know, ready to go. So they they were like prepping to, to leave. And then Jen Shaw gets a call from somebody allegedly it was her husband we we don't know who it is but um basically she was telling the ladies like you I need to go home you know I need to go home um my husband had like uh she he she basically said that he had like some sort of like internal bleeding yeah that's what it was internal bleeding and she has to go home it's like it's a family emergency like I, I have to leave so she leaves and not even like five minutes later, you guys, there are cops pulled up to this parking lot, not just like any regular, you know, regional cop. These were like FBI who basically were looking for Jen. The ladies were like, oh my God, like what's going on? Like, this is so weird. Basically, Jen was essentially found out to have been doing these, you know, crimes and the FBI were looking for her. So essentially she was on the run in that scene <laughs> and it made for great television I don't know why that didn't win an Emmy it should have um but yeah she has been a very polarizing figure in the housewives world for sure I think like you know some people are like oh like she's really entertaining 
Um, other people are like, let's like, let's like let her, you know, get arrested for her crimes because she's done a lot of bad, right? But at the same time, me personally, I don't know. She's kind. Of, I understand like the severity of her crimes. I do, but I think like what she adds to the show is like a lot. I feel like she does add a lot to the show, and from an entertainment standpoint. I do like her, but obviously if we're thinking like morals, you know, you can't really, you can't really, um, contest what has happened because it is, it is real and people are out of a lot of money because she wanted to fund her Louis Vuitton bags. So, okay, you guys. So let's talk about the topic today. Um, I kind of came up with this topic because I feel like a lot of people have been talking about this, like, return to work situation, and it's been, like, this, like, widely contested thing in the media and just, like, you know, with, with like, my work colleagues and just, like, my friends in general who work in corporate. So I wanted to do, like, an episode on it just because for me personally, and I have worked in the office full-time, I've had, like, a really interesting experience where, um... You know, uh, I was working in the office before the pandemic, five days a week sort of thing. And then during the pandemic, obviously, we had to um, work remotely. So I've experienced both. And um, it's not as fun working in the office, I will say. Five days a week was not great. And so that's sort of why I made this episode, because like, I always say like working in the office has always felt like a fever dream. Like, how did we get to five? How did we work there for five days a week? nine to five like you know making a lunch every single day I mean I didn't make a lunch every single day but like you know people did and like like how do we do that so that's why I wanted to make this video I wanted to talk about sort of the history of working in the office how it's sort of evolved through history and I also wanted to talk about COVID-19 and sort of sorry that's trigger warning I'm going to be talking about COVID um I'm going to be talking about COVID-19 and the implications that it had on um, working and working remotely and sort of the future of remote work. Because I feel like while this is a pop culture podcast, obviously, I think this is something that's been like widely talked about in the media and also just like part of, you know, the general social commentary. And, you know, a lot of people are talking about, like, the future of work and, like, what that looks like. Oh, and also just as a uh, um, warning, I'm not talking about The Office show, although I would love to talk about The Office show. I'm talking about, like, working in The Office. Okay, guys. So, yeah. So, I'm going to talk about, firstly, the origins of The Office and sort of how that became a thing um okay so this article i actually pulled information from a bunch of different articles but this one in particular was from the bbc and it was called the ancient roots of the modern office so let's get it started um so the word office uh it comes from the latin word called officium which means performance of a task and the modern office actually, you know, stems all the way back to ancient Rome, where there were these, like, places called tabulariums. And I wrote it in phonetics on the side because I feel like I knew I was going to 
um, not say that correctly, but there you go. I said it in one go. Um, so the, there were these things called tabulariums, and these were used to house public records and also may have served as an office building for, for workers. I came across a bunch of articles like pertaining to the history of the office, like how it came to be. And there was this one Renaissance painting that always showed up in every single one of the articles. And it's by Sandro Botticelli and it's called St. Augustine in a Cell. And it basically depicted um, St. Augustine working in this like sort of cubicle workspace essentially um and this is quite popular in the medieval times so uh these early workstations were comprised of a desk a chair and and storage shelves so like honestly saint augustine was really ahead of his time um what's interesting here is that um a lot of these articles had said that uh, a lot of workers didn't really work in an office space. A lot of them would work from home. So like the idea of like, you know, the modern office that we have now wasn't really a thing until maybe the 17th century and onwards um, when, you know, people would sort of gather in one communal space and then would work in in that space. Um, so I just went and wanted to talk about the 17th century here, which represented a turning point for the actual office. Um, this was when lawyers, civil servants, and other new professionals began to work in offices in European countries or European um, cities like Amsterdam, London, and Paris. So this essentially led to this sort of uh, differentiation between work and home. So, you know, the office was associated with work and then the home was associated with comfort, privacy, uh, and intimacy. So that's sort of, um, an origin story into like an office being like a workspace. But I kind of wanted to talk about, um, the history of the modern office as you see it now. So like, think like, you know, the cubicles or like, um, I don't know, like filing cabinets, like the, all that shit. Like I'm going to talk about that. I read this book called Cubed, The Secret History of the Workplace by Nikhil Saval, which was a very interesting book. And it basically centered around the history of the modern office and um, how office work sort of came to be from a cultural cultural perspective. So I'm going to move a little ahead here. I know I've like mentioned the 17th century before, but I just want to fast forward to the 19th and 20th century. So this was around the time that people really shifted their ways of work, um, mostly because of, you know, the industrial industrial revolution. There was a lot of like, you know, changes to technology and all that fun stuff. But um, so fast forward to the 19th and 20th century where modern specialized offices became the norm. And so this is when we saw, you know, people... Uh, this was when we saw a shift in the way people had worked. So, you know, people were moving out of the country land to the city and you saw an increase in urban commerce in the United States. So this essentially created this need for city office spaces. Um, this was also actually around the time we saw the emergence of the term white collar. Um, and you had things like an increase in specialization, the separation of production from selling, um, the separation of ownership from management. Basically, like to put this in like layman's terms, essentially, like what that means is that all these changes uh, created this need for um, having a manager to coordinate their employees. 
The earliest modern offices were originally structured like a factory floor. So they emphasized efficiency, the adoption of a rigid office layout that resulted in workers sitting at endless rows of desks with managers located around the perimeters where they could observe. So like, think of this as like, you know, you had like your rows of desks and then like on the outside was where the manager's offices would be. And so they could kind of like distinguish who was being a good worker and who was like, you know, slacking off, which honestly was giving very much micromanagery vibes. We don't love that. You know, I don't really love you hovering over my desk. Like, what do you mean? And like I said, um, technology played sort of this big influence in the workplace and, you know, office work in general, um, because telecommunications meant that offices could be separate from factories and warehouses um, and this also sort of created a, a divide between blue and co- white collar workers so obviously like wor- white collar workers would like you know work from the office whereas like blue collar workers would work from the factory um, another person that I wanted to talk about here is Frank Lloyd Wright um, he w- unfortunately was another white man I'm sorry I'm sorry you guys he <laughs> there's only <laughs> They unfortunately, white men did, you know, dominate our history. So unfortunately, I do have to talk about them. But um, he was an American architect and his, I feel like his designs are widely contested. I personally love them because they kind of give off this like mid-century modern vibe. But the point I wanted to make about his designs was that he really put an emphasis on open concepts. So um, he designed over like a thousand homes. He also designed the Guggenheim Museum in New York City. If you've been there, as I said, he, you know, was obsessed with open concepts and he actually designed the very first open office plan. So if any of you are like not a fan of open offices, you can blame our boy Frank Lloyd Wright for this. So, um, back in 1936, he designed the first open office plan plan (laughs) not a flan he designed the first open floor office plan for the sc johnson wax company headquarters in wisconsin so the office opened in 1939 and it had really pleasant bright lighting and several smaller places to do work so to give you a visual of what this looks like so um this office was really just comprised of this like great hall of um it was like this huge space with like really tall ceilings um and in the middle you would have like all the employee desks kind of like in a row kind of just you know and there were no like cubicles or anything and the ceiling would um the ceiling was basically made of glass so it really let a lot of like sunlight in um but i think the main feature of this like great hall was these like uh columns and he called them uh dendriforms meaning tree shaped um but also many of the many refer to them as lily pads because of the unique shape at the top of their supporting pads so okay i'm trying to like explain this visual to you so essentially like the columns were like these huge columns And then at the top was like this like circular like platform. So it almost looked like a lily pad. This was very different from offices in the past because, you know, managers were also working in this like great hall space. Um, So it basically made for, you know, more productivity. It made for better collaboration with the team. And also it was the first uh, office building to be air conditioned. So 
go AC. We love that. The office is actually still operational to this day. You can still go in um, and work from there. I don't know, like, if it's, like, I don't know if, like, anyone can work from there, but I'm pretty sure, like, employees from the SC Johnson Company uh, still work from that office, which is really cool. So, to contrast uh, the open office plan, I wanted to talk about the cubicle and its history. I feel like there's, like, so much, like, details and nuances with uh, regards to the modern office that I, I had a lot of fun learning about this. I truly did. I really did. Okay, so I pulled information here from a couple articles, one of them being... Um, an article from Wired called The Cubicle You Call Hell Was Designed to Set You Free. And um, an article from Dwell.com called The History of the Modern Workplace. Okay. So, The Cubicle. So, this was first introduced in 1964 when the furniture design company called Herman Miller unveiled an office plan unlike anyone had ever seen. So this was initially called Action Office One, and this was designed by Robert Probst, uh, who was among the first designers to argue that office work was mental work and that mental effort was tied to environmental enhancements of one's physical capabilities. So some of these new features in in this design were um, a communication center with a telephone that was... acoustically insulated um there were no large desk drawers instead there was a movable display surface from which items could be retrieved and replaced at ease um and then they also had a standing desk oh my god like they were ahead of their time for robert probes he sort of you know made the reference that uh you shouldn't always stand when you're working but you should most definitely have the choice And another sort of main feature in the Action Office 1 was that you could sort of change the office around. So, like, you weren't really tied to, like, a specific uh, desk space. It was very flexible. Like, you could, like, move things around. But this was sort of part of the, you know, utopian idea that you could somehow have the ability to shape your space. And at the same time, have some level of privacy to your work environment. So that was Action Office 1. Um, Action Office 2, which was the second sort of update slash iteration to this office design, it's probably the closest to what we think of as a cubicle in today's world. Um, So obviously, you know, the cubicle definitely has its like negative connotations, you know, like you're sort of like trapped in this like box and it's almost like a prison cell. I feel like people compare it to that, right? I'm sure. I'm sure they do. Uh, Robert Probst was not really thinking of it like that. He was sort of thinking of it like in the opposite way. So he was trying to save people from what American offices had previously looked like, which was very antagonizing. You know, you had your like row of manage, you, you had your row of desks for employees, and then you had the manager's offices, which would be like around the perimeter, which is like, again, very micromanagery vibes. This was sort of like um, an updated version of the open office plan. Um, so you would have like these like sort of cubicle like desks that were flexible and you could like twist and turn like it was very much like a flexible space for all employees not just managers so the action office design was it became this like billion dollar industry and you know a lot of other companies followed suit by replicating the same designs but 
and this is sort of when things started to take a turn for the worst um copycat action offices they were starting to have strange unforeseen effects on other workplaces you know rather than making them more flexible um they appeared to be making them more regimented so basically what happened here was when you saw more and more employees entering the workplace and entering the office uh you would see organizations move the partitions of a cubicle closer and eventually making the cubicle sizes smaller and cram more individuals into one office space so basically the idea of you know having a flexible workspace that robert propes had initially um designed for was basically thrown out the window because uh they wanted to stuff as many people into a small space for as cheaply as possible and as quickly as possible so i think that's sort of what led to i don't know like the downfall of the cubicle like that's why people sort of have this like negative connotation with the cubicle so yeah i mean like that's sort of the history of the modern office. I think another thing to sort of take away from this is that, you know, not only did the office sort of represent a space where you would work, it was also a space where you could build and foster relationships from a cultural and social perspective. So I wanted to talk about COVID-19 and I'm sorry to bring it up. I'm so sorry. COVID-19 has definitely changed everything, um, including the way that we work. So Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what happened in COVID-19, how that affected work, and sort of the future of work as a whole. So, the World Health Organization declared the novel coronavirus outbreak a pandemic on March 11th, 2020. So, (laughs) if you remember, um, when they declared, you know, COVID-19 as a pandemic, immediately companies were like oh my god we need to start working from home we need to start working remotely this isn't like safe for our workers it's not sanitary to be like working in the office and also like i feel like at the time you really didn't know how it was spread um so you know a lot of companies just like shifted to remote work and they were basically shutting their offices down so you know as the pandemic sort of ran its course and you know vaccines were a thing and more and more people got vaccinated um and you know covid cases went down a lot of companies like brought in this narrative like oh my god we need to bring you guys back we need to bring you guys back to the office (laughs) woohoo but the thing is some habits that were formed when we were working in the office wasn't really a thing anymore um post pandemic or like post vaccination so i think a lot of people also realize that uh you could essentially do the same job working from home versus you know going in and like working from the office so yeah i mean like i feel like habits were completely changed and like the way people thought of work was completely different from how it was then because honestly personally speaking i don't know how the hell i managed to get my ass up to work five days a week nine to five that was brutal i don't know how i did that truly deserved an award for for that and like we went decades with doing that i could not imagine i could not imagine but on the other hand working from the office does have its benefits i do think like um it's important to have those like social interactions with with coworkers because honestly you guys here's the thing about 2020 was that zoom parties were so freaking lame and they still continue to be i'm sorry i i that might be a hot take but honestly like they were not it 
like the fact that we were drinking on camera on a zoom ooh, harrowing let me tell you that and you know looking ahead into 2023 i think like the future of work and sort of that narrative continues to become like a prevalent issue um just because we're like you know three years into the pandemic the idea of like hybrid work still continues to be like this well like this contested topic among employees and employers like do we need to be going in there five days a week i don't think so like truthfully you can be working from home two days a week if you really have to um but yeah i think like i think for me personally i think you know one of my managers had told me this in a meeting and you know she said go into the office with a purpose whether that would be, you know, you're meeting with a client in person or, I don't know, like you're going for a coffee with a with a colleague or, I don't know, like if you have plans to, to go out for drinks after work. Like, I think going into the office with purpose is definitely like what has helped me kind of navigate this hybrid work schedule. All right, guys. So that is all she wrote. Or uh, that's all I wrote, really. Let me know your opinions on working in the office versus working remotely. I feel like it's a debate that is continuing to go on, you know, even three years after this pandemic has happened. And that's a wrap on the first three episodes of Was That a Fever Dream? Uh, I truly feel like this was a fever dream for myself. Um, I cannot believe I finally put out these episodes. This is crazy. If you want to support the pod, please do not forget to give me a rating or a review. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Um, I am also on Instagram. Um, You can follow me on Was That a Fever Dream podcast, all one word, on Instagram. And I will be back every single Monday with a brand new episode. So I will be back next Monday. Don't you worry. Don't you fret. I will be back. (laughs) Um, But... In the meantime, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I hope you enjoy this episode and I will talk to you on the flip side. Bye.